0: Hello everybody and welcome to this D2C-focused podcast coming from The Drum Network. I'm the editor of The Drum Network, Chris Sutcliffe. On this special D2C-focused episode, we're going to be talking with Andy Griffiths from Space and Time about the emerging trends around D2C that have emerged over the pandemic and what the future might hold for brands, consumers, and the agencies themselves in what people are calling the new normal. So to begin with, I asked Andy to introduce himself and to give a quick pressie of everything that's happened over the past year and why we've seen so many DTC trends accelerate.
1: Yeah, super. Thank you. So, um, Andy Griffiths, I'm at Space and Time Media. We are a uh, leading independent uh, agency across all channels, digital, offline, and everything else. Um, and I'm an associate director there, with my role encompassing um, primarily our marketing and new business function.
0: Fantastic. Well, you're very well placed then to answer this next question, which is. What have been the biggest D2C trends that you've seen over the past year? And do you expect them to continue, given quite how much of a shake-up this year has been?
1: Yeah, I mean, what a year, right? <laughs> I think first things first, I mean, it, it seems like such an obvious thing to say, but the biggest trend we, we've seen in last year is just adoption of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the stats I've seen have been absolutely phenomenal. I thought I think I saw there was something like, three years growth in three months it might have actually even have been even more than that
1: yeah look i mean e- e-commerce as a as a the channel itself i think in terms of revenue has been forecasted about 25 percent growth this year which is you know obviously we're all aware of the the context into why what's accelerating that but mm-hmm. still phenomenal uh phenomenal growth for it and i think kind of within that that sort of drives acceleration of some of the other trends within it so if you start thinking about the importance around things like personalization, subscription models, um, and certainly sort of first-party data. I mean, you think about sort of brands who now overnight um, don't just have sort of emotional or, or brand relationship with their with their consumers, but hmm. sort of have a transactional one. Um, and that's a, that's actually a, a big gap in terms of understanding how they shop and how they buy. Um, so that's a, that's a big one for me as well. But um, I think the one that most people in the industry, certainly sort of a lot of the colleagues and peers I've, I've spoken to are most hopeful of is around sort of maybe this is the thing that finally helps us all to get Omnichannel right.
0: See, that's interesting. Is that what's been sort of the, uh, is this just because it's been put upon people so now it's a case of have to get to grips with it rather than, you know, we'll we'll, we'll do it in three or four years down the line when when it becomes really relevant?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think the thing is, Chris, sort of, you know, um, I think anyone who's, who's listening to podcasts probably could have put sort of a, a bingo card together and <laughs> channel I'm sure, would have, would have been on it. But... Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's almost become a bit of an eye roll thing. But I, I think it's phenomenal that you know we've been banging on about this for for, for quite a while now, and it's still the last time, So I think it's still something that only really fourteen percent of brands are doing it properly. Um, mm. And I think the, the how, what's so crucial about that is if you think now about sort of for a lot of brands with a with a DTC offering now having to join up, um, not just the way they speak and engage with the brands, but the way they stimulate purchase and and route to basket. You know, the importance of that joined up approach across all different. Types point phenomenal and you know I think the way that media consumption trends have shifted as well during the pandemic means that you know there's there's even more of a dearth of different places to speak to your consumer so mm. um, you know it's 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 quite it's easily possible if you're not doing it right to sort of feel like you're speaking to 10, 10 different brands um, <laughs> one route to purchase rather than a, a joined up approach that could probably accelerate that that conversion quicker
0: yeah definitely so is is it your take then that the industry is effectively ready for this or have a lot of people been blindsided by it
1: i i, I think a lot of people have been blindsided by it i think sort of um i'm i have a huge bias towards grocery commerce because uh, i that's why i sort of started in, in digital media 10 years ago um but it's um again one of those things always, uh to your comment earlier oh, oh yeah we'll do this yep yep it's important yeah okay and then sort of I think those that have really taken it seriously and have been early adopters are the ones that are really placed to sort of accelerate and come out and make make the learnings in time to sort of leverage the different trends that we've seen.
0: Okay, so it's really about having been in the right place at the right time and been prepared for this, I suppose, rather than I just. Think kind so. of... and I
1: think and I think those that, that do take it seriously and are making inroads will, will see the the results. It's you know it's it's market conditions for me, I think, Chris, in terms of okay. if if you're doing it if you're doing it right, or you start doing it right, you start making those those, those changes to how you're sort of um joining up across different channels, then you'll start to see the results and that in turn will stimulate more of that that change in behaviour. Um I think you've only got to look at some of the changes in sort of the agency market of where overnight, you know, brands have gone from having say maybe one or two different sort of agency partners, um, mm. someone looking after their SEO for a largely branded website. Um you might have someone who's doing a great job looking after their their, their brands. And overnight as soon as that decision's taken that, you know, we need our own route to to purchase. Um, and not to rely on sort of, you know, locked down retailers. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, that changes everything overnight. So suddenly, you know, well, uh, is our SEO agency, you know, familiar with Shopify if that's the platform we're going to adopt? You know, is our branding agency great at sort of a direct response perspective? Um, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's changed things in a, in a phenomenal way.
0: And have there been verticals where that change has happened more rapidly than others? I, I, I know a couple of people who work in the kind of the hospitality, the the drinks um world and effectively they feel like they've been undercut by kind of a lot of the the d2c stuff that's that's happened and sort of cut retail out so what other verticals have really been seeing this huge change happen almost overnight
1: yeah look, I, I'd agree with that I think you've, you've only got to look at um anyone who's suddenly had their um their roots to basket suddenly cut and, and a lot of that is sort of um consumer goods um, mm. and not necessarily just sort of fmcg but also if you think of higher ticket items where people have in, invested either in furniture or home tech and it's something that you know in, in years gone by you'd have walked into your john lewis or whatever to, to pick something out i think that's been um executed in a in a much quicker fashion um it's interesting you mentioned the in the food and drink side of things i think one of the, the guys have done a great job with it is brew dog
0: mm, okay yeah makes sense
1: where you know they, they've already they, they've been really able to sort of leverage the brand equity they've built um and i feel like you know that they're they're one of the examples where people can still sort of shop and, and, and engage with their, their product in a way that feels like they're still shopping the brand, not just a, a transactional perspective. You know, that there is a genuine proposition as to why you'd buy direct from Dog versus just getting it through uh, Tesco.
0: Mm, yeah, of course. Beyond that, kind of you, you mentioned a couple of kind of the higher ticket items. Is there anybody who you think has been doing it particularly well? I
1: think someone who, okay. Other end of the end of the spectrum, I, I touched on FMCG, but someone I think who's done a, a really good job of it would be organics okay um so they they sort of not that long ago relaunched their sort of their own d c thing and it's i think they've i think they've judged really well in terms of again we, we talked on, on the channel and joining up routes to basket but if you look at the consistency between their own um d c offering you know you have uh from a from a route to basket and U.S. perspective um a very easy opportunity to buy whether it's from them whether it's tesco or any other opportunity there's no, no discrimination it's about the the conversion and Then, if you look at how they've mirrored that on, um, you know, their branded store on Amazon, um, mm. well, again, it's it's something that is feels feels joined up and just more conducive to helping them drive their uh, their e-commerce.
0: Yeah, I suppose that the 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 million-dollar question that everybody's going to be asking themselves is, is this just the acceleration of existing trends? Obviously, I think that when we come out the other end of this, we're going to see a lot of consumers have been habituated to to this kind of behaviour, but have any completely new new behaviours emerged in terms of how consumers are actually? you know, interacting with brands in this kind of, you know, what people are terming the new normal?
1: Yeah, good question. I, I think sort of some of it really is just um, a, a pivot in terms of attitude of the consumer. Okay. Uh, I think if you if you think before um, lockdown and the pandemic and the, the shift and the acceleration we've seen in DTC, I think if you'd spoken to a, a consumer, um, you know, about, say, someone like Dollar Shave Club or uh, HelloFresh or something... Mm they would have been still seen as a as a disruptor um whereas now i think that that's pivoted and that seems like a normal and now you've got the you know the likes of other brands in in their verticals feeling like they're trying to to reposition or or catch up in some in some sort of instances
0: so i suppose then the question is how much headroom is left in that in that growth I, i suppose it depends on how long the pandemic continues to some extent but are we expected to see growth kind of carry on at this pace, or is there almost now a, you know a, a, a headroom limit on where we can go?
1: I think we'll continue to see a fair bit of growth. Yet, you know, there's there's still lots of brands that are in the process of of starting uh, a DTC, or you know, God knows how many you know e-commerce sites are being built as we, as we speak, Chris. But
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I think the bigger thing is as that as that sort of um, growth starts to curtail and we get to some sort of normality, if you like. I think the bigger thing will be um, how that's normalised the behaviour.
0: Mm. Um,
1: I think if you if you think about all the conversation and, and ch- chatter there's been around sort of working from home, um, you know, yes, at some point, you know, the, the pandemic will be over and there's no reason why everyone can't return to their office. But how many actually do or how many, uh, you know, working cultures change as a result of it? I think the same will be the same uh, can be said for, uh, for e-commerce.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I'm curious then, how have you... I suppose you actually take a slightly more self reflecting look than a lot of people. Have you found your own behaviors changing over the course of the pandemic? You know, how, hugely. Do, yeah, <laughs> in <it>, what way?
1: Hugely. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's like, I, I think it's I think it's really tough, right? So uh, I think kind of um certainly in terms of um so terms of the way that I interact with with, with brands and buying online, I think kind of, you know, you could probably you could probably double the amount of um Retailers that I, I had some sort of uh, email sign up to before the the pandemic, you know,
0: yeah.
1: I, the, the the amount of uh, mail I get into my uh, my inbox and <laughs> CRM and, and, and email marketing is a whole other trend we've seen out of it. But I think kind of if I, if I look just at sort of a, a behaviour perspective, and that obviously knocks on to you know consumer purchasing. Um, what's happened to my my own sort of personal spend? Well, you know. Um, the uh, lack of gym subscription and increase my waistline will tell you how uh, <laughs> supporting local um, uh, is sort of a, a main means of leisure spend. Likewise, you know, in terms of other activities from a, a purely personal perspective, has been, um, you know, falling in love with a guitar again, really.
0: Oh, fantastic.
1: I've bought two guitars over lockdown. That's been a lot more, you know, m- my own sort of um, D2C consumer journey with, uh, you know, m- you know, music manufacturers, etc. Has has upped as well so i bought that line in that particular vertical myself i suppose and if i think of my own media consumption just on the path to to, to selecting and choosing you know my modes sort of navigation of that marketing funnel for the guitar i ultimately bought you know that was everything from um the usual things you'd expect really reviews on um on youtube and video there was social engagements there was you know uh various forums etc there was the emails and uh, incentives from the um, retailers that I was registered to, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly changed things for us. My, my wife just had a desk arrive today. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. again, I don't think
0: that's something that we would have blind bought in the past. No, it's certainly not. In fact, I blind bought this chair that I'm sat on right now because I couldn't have the home office and I just, then, I just thought, well, I'll just take it so how then you know are brands finding themselves having to dip their toes into the water when it actually comes to that new relationship that they have with consumers who potentially haven't considered supporting them you know d2c beforehand
1: yeah absolutely i think kind of a, a big part here is the the experience you give to your consumer you mm. those that have pivoted and perhaps you know didn't have d uh, any C offering before the pandemic um in fact there are still some out there that, that, that don't you know Primark's a great example where they've, they're have they a really recognized brand. Lots of people shop with them. They have a, a decently loyal amount of uh, following and they've gone from, you know, was it sort of 650 odd million a, a, a month down to zero overnight? Yeah. But if you look at those that have gone to sort of D2C, then I think sort of e, e- marketing and again, how do you speak to um, prospective consumers has changed dramatically. You know, before. Um, tone of voice um, would have been, you know, shifted depending on trying to interact and build brand equity. Whereas, you know, now you're also trying to trigger purchase behavior. Mm. Um, and that has a whole other sort of um, sector in itself. If you think about, you know, I mean, first of all, what, what is the reason for buying direct from the brand rather than anywhere else is is, is a big question. You know, I think every brand has to consider, you know, what what is our point of difference in offering? Are we going to offer a, a price incentive for going direct? Is it the provenance of buying from the brand direct is there a subscription model that's beneficial? Are we looking at exclusive range extensions or SKUs or or opportunities etc. Hmm. Different channels in terms of how you speak to the consumer will will lend themselves to to you know those different points of difference in in sort of better ways than others. I think the e-marketing thing is you know it's been a, a key tactic in e-commerce. You know it's the classic sort of. Thursday you know uh, flash sale of, of 25% off men's jeans or whatever it might be um, that's that's not a kind of conversation that, that many brands have had to have before their own sort of first e-commerce offering so it's it's changed a lot overnight so I think that ties back to the point I made earlier around suddenly what kind of guidance and, and um, service requirements you might have of, of, of your agency or agencies.
0: Oh, yeah, I was just about to say. It really feels like then the, the one of the key opportunities is for our own sector, is for kind of the marketing world who have that experience with creating purchase intent and you know maintaining it beyond just a kind of one and done transaction.
1: Yeah, I agree. with that, completely. we've I mean we've been we've been very very fortunate, I think, at, at space and time, and that we've we've been very well positioned for that. We've, we've got a very strong digital offering. The fact that we also sort of do essentially sort of all, all, all channels and media means that we we offer a genuine kind of um, one house option to to cater for everything. Mm. Uh, from my role sort of in the, in the business department business development side of the the business um it's been interesting hearing things like um oh we we're, we're calling we're going out to tender because our SEO our current SEO agency says that you know um, shopify is really difficult to do SEO on or or, or x and, y and, Z. and I think it's I think it's revealing kind of suddenly where you know the, the the brief or nature of work you have with a client can change overnight. Um, that in turn is is you know necessitating agencies to to pivot with brands.
0: So internally, then, have you seen your own priorities change over the past, past couple of months? Is that something that you've you know have you made changes that will be in place long beyond you know the, the end of lockdown?
1: I don't I don't know we've we've necessarily made huge changes. I think mm-hmm. the difference is the I mean as I said at the, the start of the last question. I think we're we're very lucky to already be equipped in that. Our yeah. uh, our group of Digital who joined us not long ago has has come direct to us from Amazon, so we've been very well positioned to sort of leverage that that side of the market as well. I think the main difference we've seen has been in sort of the nature of the briefs that we've been been receiving, mm. and I think it's been more about less about sort of changing what we do and more about being able to um, leverage a greater breadth of what we can offer. I think kind of the, the demand for what we do has shifted from, or oh, we can also help you with to, well, actually that's what I'm calling you today.
0: Fantastic. Well, you've mentioned Amazon a couple of times here and preempting a question that I was going to ask, which is, you know, who are, who've who been the big winners? Obviously, I don't think anybody who has been tracking the industry can fail to have noticed quite how well Amazon has done as a result of the pandemic. Um, they were very well placed to do it. But what role do marketplaces like Amazon play in kind of the, the new situation we find ourselves? And what does that actually... I suppose, imply for brands who are trying to really get into that D2C space?
1: Yeah, I I find this a really fascinating one, to be honest. It's a a tricky one with Amazon. So, uh, I mean, first of all, yeah, you've rightly touched on, you know, I think everyone... By now knows that it's probably only a matter of time before we start calling Jeff Bezos dear leader. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think my favourite stat about them is that they they now employ more people than the Chinese army,
0: which is you know, oh my god, I missed that one. That's, it's 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 terrifying, isn't it? Really? That, is ter- that is terrifying. But, yeah. but I like think soldiers without Am- borders. I th- I
1: think Amazon creates a really unique sort of um, bottleneck in this whole sort of D 2 c commerce pandemic situation. Anyway, I mean, obviously everyone's heard about how well they've been doing, how their sales have, you know um risen exponentially etc but for for brands themselves it's a really unique pivoting opportunity and i think there's there's several areas where you know um brands who perhaps might be number one on amazon and and perhaps you'd you'd label them as an amazon brand Mm. now are, are seeing the kind of level of um sales and volume and opportunity by you know dabbling with their own kind of crm their own sort of social offering to pivot and Go beyond being an Amazon brand to to being a uh, having wider recognition and equity outside of that that um, e-commerce environment itself. Hmm. Like I touched on um, organics earlier, there's an opportunity for for other mainstream brands to recognise that. Well, look, you know, with more and more footfall going to Amazon, you have to fish where the fish are. So I think you know it's it's brought a lot of people to either embrace the opportunity or sort of be sceptical with it. They don't always make it easy, Amazon, but they do.
0: Because
1: <laughs> yeah. they're increasingly trying to challenge the duopoly of, you know, Google and Facebook from a marketing and advertising perspective, there are increasingly ways that you can kind of uh, try and sort of, um, I guess, uh, accelerate your uh, your opportunity on that that platform.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned kind of that, I suppose, reappraisal of what Amazon can actually offer. I saw recently there's been a um, a spike of independent booksellers who've effectively set up a collaboration to compete in terms of kind of indie publishing with Amazon. And that's come about purely as a result of the pandemic. They sort of said, well, look, we we have the time now to do this. Let's actually use this time constructively to maybe try and launch a competitor in a space that Amazon won't be able to touch around indie publishing. So do you, do you foresee kind of us coming out at the end of this with a very, very different relationship overall with those marketplaces, or is it still gonna be from a consumer point of view that those are the kind of the first and foremost the places we go?
1: i i think this is this is um not so much changed um the aspect of amazon i think this has probably gone on to solidify it you know right okay and i think if you look at those um brands and retailers that have been always been pure play if you look at the likes of you know um amazon's great one we mentioned you know double shade club or hello fresh the, the kind of smaller challenges um or if you think of an acado and what's happened to our cardos, sort of you know uh, stock given that they they you know they have a lot of ip um, uh, interest in terms of some of the technology and, and model they use for e-commerce grocery delivery um, i think it's probably cemented their position um, and I think probably what what it's what it's done is is created them as more of kind of a a beacon to attempt to follow or emulate and, and, and look to i think the big thing for me is look i think when you talk about any of the digital trends that we've seen over the last however many years whether it 's omni-channel, whether it's e-commerce, et cetera, um, generally the industry always bangs the drum of it's the early adopters that will win. Um, hmm. And I think it's always the case that it's it's really tricky for uh, from a commercial perspective to try and justify disproportionately investing in something that perhaps the returns aren't there for. But, you know, the past, past 10 months or so have, have really just sort of gone on to show um, those that did are, are absolutely reaping the
0: benefit now. Yeah, no, 100%. I suppose then there's a bit of a penultimate question are you confident about the future of the agency in this kind of new role of DTC marketing or is there a p- potentially the kind of the could brands usurp what agencies have previously offered when it comes to that relationship between consumer and, um, and kind of the brands themselves.
1: Yeah. Good question. I, I, th- I think sort of, um, it will certainly continue to push more brand, more agencies to, to consider how they cater for brands um Hmm. and and clients i think we'll probably see um a greater growth of uh specialist agencies who just want to 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 cater in that you know there are increasingly more sort of amazon specialist agencies if you like i think for for agencies such as ourselves we'll we'll continue to see perhaps the um you know the shift in in perhaps where our our billings and revenue comes from change but I, i you know again i think we're very lucky to be able to offer all sorts of different um Aspects to it, so whether that's you know catering to Amazon, you know we've seen uh, a shift from you know you won't be hugely surprised to hear that we've um, seen our billings in out of home decline somewhat. Um, yeah. During <laughs> during lockdown.
0: It makes it makes sense. But, it,
1: but instead, that's directly shifted onto a, a view of right, What can we do for our organic or earned traffic, and how can we up sort of perhaps the volume of work we do with you in SEO to make sure that we're um, getting our fair slice of the pie in that in that direction. Um, I think it's more about kind of, again, continue to be relevant and um, be able to offer either either a specialty in one particular area or increasingly for, for, for brands. Actually, I don't want to have, you know, four different agencies, one doing my commerce, one doing my, my, my branding, one doing my um, my social, when actually I can have a joined up uh, approach. And I think with, with more and more brands going to DTC, that's more and more important because one of the biggest bugbears is always going to be attribution. Now, the, the, the chance to sort of try and understand what performance looks like and, and how many sales you're generating is always going to be difficult. Whilst you might want to optimize in silo by channel, you certainly don't want to record by or, or, or measure um, in silo. Mm. So I think how you get sort of a, a real picture of the truth of, of, of what, you know, performance and what good looks like um, when everything's been done by several different parties is, is pretty tricky.
0: That actually is quite an optimistic way of looking at it. I was, I was trying to think. I was trying to find almost a negative all the way through, but that actually does speak to kind of the expertise still having a, a role to play in that.
1: Look, I, I think so. Th- you know, we've 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 always been um, big believers in, in in space and time. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll come on in a second. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll do that again. We've yeah, have no been um, big believers in sort of honest attri- attribution of space and time. Um, you know. We talk about non-channel approach in terms of um channel and advertising but bigger still is, is in attribution i would say you know it's, it's really easy as you know to kind of um, duplicate goal count um, mm. so again if you've got sort of uh, several different parties looking after different channels um then again whilst it's absolutely right to perhaps um optimize the performance by by channel or in silo you know you, you want an honest view of right well Yes, I know that I got um, ex, you know, clicks or conversions with social and I did in my paid search, but actually how many of those are duplicate users, et cetera. Um, yeah. it's, it's more and more important to be able to give an idea of success, particularly when you know. I, I think those brands that are starting to, to dabble into DTC will invariably need to lean more and more on agency support and expertise. And I think if you combine that, even more importantly with the, the backdrop of, you know a lot of brands having had to have you know cut staff or, or they've been furloughed etc i think kind of one of the biggest benefits we've seen at space and time is where our our client service is so strong is okay. been able to really step in and be that extension of a brand's team you know you think about a lot of the brands that we've, we've spoken to and some of the, the clients that we've we've signed and, and been lucky enough to to want to win over the uh the summer um increasingly you've got someone who's perhaps quite a quite a lean team all of a sudden, have to be
0: experts in you know seven or eight different channels, and that's oh, yeah, possible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. In that sense, that's definitely been an acceleration of trends we've seen before. Uh, everyone having to become sort of masters of everything. So, totally, well, yeah. So, again, you know,
1: how 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 is it? How's your agency positioned to sort of really take up that slack for you and, and and help be that? You know, what what does value look like from an agency going forward?
0: Yeah, certainly. Well, it sounds like you're very much in the right place to take advantage of that. So where can any of the listeners find you? Where can they go to sort of seek out your expertise?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So look, our, our, our website is uh, Um You can find all of us all over um, LinkedIn. We've got our profile on Creative Brief, Ajama, etc., et cetera, et cetera. So it shouldn't be too tricky to find. Um, we'd be doing it wrong if we were, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks so much for that. That's been great. Super, thank you, Chris.